0: Typically in an OR environment, there will be a scrub tech that isn't going to work with the surgeon who will set up the room in between two cases. So from case to case to case, another scrub tech will organize the room. So that scrub tech who may not know the surgeon at all, but they can put on the headset, walk into the room, it's engaged. They'll immediately see for this case, for this level, for this side the orientation of the room where the anesthesia machine will be relative to the bed where the the microscope or the endoscope tower will be relative to that where is the fluoroscope where is the uh tower for uh, electrophysiological equipment and Bovie and drill etc etc and it, so immediately they organize that and they, they put each piece congruent with the holographic footprint of the enhanced view
1: Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the Less Invasive podcast, your source for minimally invasive surgery, robotics, and other assistive technologies for the operating room and radiology environment. If you haven't done already, uh, make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast five stars. I'm your host, Lucien Blandel, co-founder and CTO of Quantum Surgical, a startup commercializing the Epion robot for percutaneous tumor ablation. I bring to the table... 20 years of experience in uh, robotics and imaging for various specialties, orthopedics, uh, neurosurgery, spine surgery, interventional radiology, and interventional oncology. Today, I'm uh, very excited to have Dr. Robert Masson on the show. So Dr. Masson is a micro neurosurgeon specializing in minimally invasive spine surgery and sports spine medicine practicing at uh, Orlando and also uh, Park City in Utah. Uh, He's an uh, innovator in the the minimally invasive spine field with the IMAS 360 lumbar reconstruction platform. He is also the founder and CEO of Expanded Existence, a mixed reality and AI tech uh, startup company that was uh, recently founded and that is focused on surgical performance, logistics and optimization. Uh, Robert, thank you very much for making time for me today. How are you?
0: Very well, Lucien. Thank you. thanks for having me. I look forward to this conversation
1: yeah, sure. So I was very actually very intrigued uh maybe four or five months ago when uh, you started to post those videos uh, about the the surgical metaverse and and what the expanded existence is uh, is doing uh, I was like uh, What's this? I mean, this is very different from from, uh, what I've been uh, seeing for many years, the introduction of augmented reality in uh, spine surgery. and uh, But before we talk about uh, this product, which is HoloHops, a couple of questions uh, for the audience to get to know you and who you are. So can you maybe start with briefly introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I'll try not to go go too long. You know, lifelong athlete. I uh, grew up uh, playing multiple sports. Uh, It's sort of fundamentally in my DNA. And I played football in college. That's how I paid for college. Uh, Always had a deep interest in performance and sports and logistics. Uh, I was a biomedical engineer in college uh, subsequent and went into a medical program with uh, a goal of being an astronaut. Uh, unusually my oh. grandfather on my mother's side was a air force pilot and a war hero and test pilot and and the key being the test pilot aspect i think i've always always identified as as a scout rather than uh, a researcher or a uh you know a user um i've always pushed my boundaries i i'm i'm a malcontent lifelong uh whatever level i get to it's not good enough i always push farther and you know, and that, that gives you sort of an innovative canvas, if you will, because, uh, so oftentimes what you have at your disposal doesn't really allow you to transcend. And, and so you have to build tools to help you transcend. And so that's kind of been my lifelong journey. Uh, I still compete in everything I do. I have five kids. Uh, we have a sports filled house, uh, I'm notoriously bad loser. Uh, I think mm-hmm. every one of my kids is too. So, um, so that sort of defines me.
1: Okay. And uh, is there uh, someone who is inspiring you today, or who has been uh, inspiring you, and why?
0: You know, it, so many people. I mean, I, lifelong. I've adopted um, kind of father figures. Uh, Early on, John Wooden, UCLA legendary basketball coach. I lived about half a mile away and I used to go watch the practices when I was in my teens. And and uh, and then when I finally uh, I was in the military for a while. So I had some some team leaders that were big inspirations to me from a from a discipline and diligence and persistence perspective. But then in medicine, my my chairman, uh, Albert Roden, is the father of modern micro neurosurgical anatomy and uh, so we, i grew up literally in a microsurgery approach i was a cerebrovascular skull base surgeon but i realized that all neurosurgeons basically do spine but i was doing brain here and and pretty much everybody was doing spine here and there was so much opportunity to bring exactly the same uh articulation precision anatomy you know basically i, I do ba- skull base surgery every single day as a spine surgeon. And uh, when I was a brain surgeon, it wasn't quite that common. So um, I I love spine. I love sports and uh, put it together. Dick Steadman, Jim Andrews became big influencers of mine in the orthopedic field. I really uh, loved their journey through arthroscopy. Arthroscopy was this awkward new tech that everybody kind of messaged. And I think it's really important to look at origins of of uh, transcending specialization because traditional medicine is resistant to change. And, And, you know, in talking to them in detail and really articulating their path, it occurred to me that Spine was on the same exact journey. Arthroscopy was awkward. All the traditionalists, of course, discounted it. But, you know, it wasn't long before they realized it wasn't about the tech. It was about rapid recovery early mobilization functional performance least invasive least disruptive techniques and well there you go minimally invasive spine you know all the pundits. ah it's this that whatever well the reality is what is the value of least invasive spine surgery it's rapid recovery early mobilization uh return to sport return to life and uh that's my that's where it clicks for me um i like taking care of people with unbelievably audacious goals and who want to climb mountains and who want to return to, you know, their age group championships and and whatever it is that they do. And I have the privilege of taking care of a lot of pro athletes and stuff. So that fuels the push and it's self-engaging.
1: Okay, so I understand that you have an, an outpatient um, uh, clinical practice that is uh, in in a two sides. So this is from where from what I hear, it's more uh, focused towards uh, people who want to have a, a quick return to quality of life, who are sports athletes, uh, people are not that much uh, uh, older um, patient population, right?
0: Honestly, it's uh, I, I have a eighty three year old Ironman triathlete who's done uh, seven Ironmans. So it's the full gamut. It it starts in mid teen years and goes into the eighties. It's, it's really, you know, we call our people these days, patient athletes. My early career was much more a traditional spine, high volume, uh, gerbil on the wheel practice where I just treated anything and everybody within the spine surgery domain and complex, uh, as it gets. But uh in the last 5 years i've really been able to focus it on what drives me the best which is this sort of high goal high motivation spine surgery but it, i don't discriminate on age i i am kind of filtered with regard to goal structure i i i really uh focus on people with strong desire to get back uh to who they want to be when they grow up regardless of their age really
1: okay Cool. Very interesting. So now we'll, we'll move to uh, the, the core of our conversation, which is the, yes, the, the surgical metaverse. And uh, uh, to start with the, with this question, I want to understand the unmet needs. That is, uh, I, uh, from what I've read, you know, the operating room organization. So can you briefly uh, explain uh, how the operating room and sterile field it is typically organized for a spine surgery? What's the role of a scrub tech and what are exactly the challenges that need to be solved today?
0: Yeah, and, and I'm going to go a, a step beyond. It's all surgeries, really. You know, when you look at the methodology for organization and setup of countless equipment pieces in an OR, orientation of an OR, um, tens of thousands of tools and every specialty of surgery, it really goes back 100 years where people have been jotting down, you know, scribble and then edits or cross outs and more scribble and then back corner and then upside down back corner. And uh, the surgical pref card has a long and storied history that dates back literally to early last century. And um, it's never, ever improved, ever. Um, and, uh, you know, there really wasn't, I think, uh, bottom line, the problem started at the, uh, the data universe converging on the operating room. You know, we see big data coming into healthcare reluctantly, but gradually and progressively, and it's come all the way to the sacred halo of the sterile field. And, uh, you know, while the, uh, while most of the healthcare industry was seeing navigation and, and, uh, three-dimensional anatomical organization as the opportunity with AR, I, at, at the time I was prototype racing, um, and I immediately, uh, saw the opportunity to, to penetrate the sterile field in a way that would um, give viability to a new generation of organization, logistics, uh, you know, optimization of lean performance, eliminate waste. Uh, So the problem really was just giving uh, an OR team the resources digitally to have perpetual uh, con- connection to information while in the sterile field, and you know uh, particularly the way Microsoft and the HoloLens too has organized their hand tracking it really made it tenable to um, interact uh, bilaterally while operating and have infinite access to information and I think that 's priceless in the oR field
1: okay so uh, I, I mean uh, I, I kind of discovered this uh, this uh, these pref cards i mean the 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 cards uh, where people have to note what uh, the surgeon wants for uh, each specific procedure, what kind of instruments, what kind of disposables, and what's the setup and layout uh, uh, for the surgeon preference. And uh, I read that uh, this could be, uh, you know, paper cards still today uh, in the operating room. How much this is paper are digitized today in a typical operating room? Do you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it it looks like 70% are still uh, written down on papers. And then eventually a facility typically will you know, database it and they'll turn it into a a digital script, but it's still a spreadsheet. It's still an Excel spreadsheet or a print document. And then you see the, uh, the most common version, which is the hybrid it's the print document with scribble all over it because it never gets updated. And, Mm -hmm. and, and and if it is updated, updated mechanism is a a yell in the OR or a, a scream in the OR and so rarely, but sometimes a thrown instrument in the OR and, uh, you know, and sometimes it gets logged and sometimes it doesn't, but no matter what, it's not necessarily there the next time because they don't necessarily look at, back at the scribbles. So, so we've, we see it as a, a perpetually evolving and available uh, mechanism for optimal surgical organization.
1: Okay, so I understand you are you are bringing with your own product that we'll talk about. Uh, uh, the, maybe two steps further from the, the paper based system. The, the first step would be digitized, and the second step would be, uh, you know, um, the visualization part that is uh, uh, helpful, right. and, and also keeping in mind that uh, this has to be easily updated because I've also read this kind of stuff about you know uh, the challenge to update uh, the pref cards uh, based on the data data from um, from the from the procedure. So let's talk now about Hops, uh, that's the name of the of the product that your company is uh, is developing for someone who doesn't know anything about that, what does it look like and what does it do exactly?
0: bottom line it's it's a software solution uh, you know pc based tablet capable so you know there there are two aspects to it. the front end is the data upload, the organizational chart both in um, um you know data organization format with a visual outload, but the AR component is in experience mode. And that's where you take it live into an organized surgery. The back the back the back of the field is still there with creator mode. And that's where we basically have given facilities and, and surgeons the opportunity to load all of their preferences for every procedure, for every orientation, for for every specific uh, subspecialty and uh we have a vast library already built you know we're already a product that's one um we've been working on the product itself for about a year uh already have the product tested in my ors we we've we're at the point now where our first two test sites are fully loaded and uh third one will be done by the end of this month but basically creator mode allows us to have a complete um dollhouse view of the or in a way where we know when a, when a scrub tech walks in a room, when a team member, when a scrub nurse walks in the room, they have an immediate impression of the orientation um, of where every equipment piece goes, about every table, what's on each table, where is where, where, the preferred organization within those tables for the tools as per the scrub tech and the surgeon at full speed and in flow state. I'm a, I'm a real big fan of surgical nonverbal communication and execution, and uh, it's rarely like that in most facilities. You know, spoiled surgeons like me who get to demand and control their environment get that. And um, but, you know, the vast majority of the surgeons I've trained over the last 30 years, the the number one most common thing they call back about is uh, how do I organize my team? How, how did you do that? How did you find a scrub tech who is so unbelievably congruent with you? And, you know, and it's a process and a discipline and a a leadership that a lot of surgeons, particularly in this era, really can't get within their facilities. So we're really trying to create a mechanism where we can just superpower the teams and give them a fighting chance to be expert, even with a surgeon that they're happening upon. You know, a lot of surgeons will, you know, get a scrub tech who's never worked with them. At last mm-hmm. notice, because of staffing availabilities, and and we want those texts to have immediate visual familiarity with the space of the OR.
1: So uh, I understand that basically you um, you program your database with all your preferences under the the, the mayo table, the back table, and maybe the. the the position of the patient and and the other equipment and all the instruments and disposable and maybe the count of each disposable that you need for each surgery, depending on the approach, depending on the indication. And uh, uh, visually when the, the, so the scrub tech is using a augmented reality headset to get this information. That's the, what you call the experience mode. Uh, So visually, how does it work? How does he get this information and how he manipulates this information while preparing the tray or uh, getting the instruments to the surgeon?
0: So creator mode does all the front end stuff and it prepares the visual uh, theater, if you will. Um, And and typically in an OR environment, there will be a scrub tech that isn't gonna work with the surgeon who will set up the room in between two cases. So from case to case to case, another scrub tech will organize the room. So that scrub tech who may not know the surgeon at all, but they can put on the headset, walk into the room, it's engaged, they'll immediately see for this case, for this level, for this side, the orientation of the room where the anesthesia machine will be relative to the bed where the the microscope or the endoscope tower will be relative to that mm. where is the fluoroscope where is the uh tower for uh, uh electrophysiological equipment and bovie and drill etc cetera, etc cetera. and it, so immediately they organize that and they, they they put each piece congruent with the holographic footprint of the enhanced view then you know where is the back table where is the mayo table um and then And then when they open the packs, how do you organize the packs? How do you organize the trays? What about the implants? What about the consumables, as you mentioned? Um, And then they just piece by piece, sequentially go through the categories and organize the room. We've had test sessions with visiting scrub techs that have never worked with me and and made them go through my setups. And and we've got a white paper coming, which will describe uh, how quickly they were able to organize my room perfectly such that. My expert, my team leader, Bo, can walk in and oh wow it 's perfect, you know which is an impossibility without this tech. you mm-hmm. know when you reading when you're reading something off a script data uh, data database model like an Excel spreadsheet or a, a print file it doesn't give you that three dimensional visual oriented sense it's just okay, he uses this, he uses that he uses this x number of these but it's incredibly difficult to translate that into an organizational chart. Imagine, mm-hmm. imagine giving your, your child a, uh, a, uh, a database format of how to set the table and asking them to set it up properly. Yeah, I mean it's
1: it's like it's like when you want to go somewhere and and you find the route and on Google Maps, uh, you never read actually the steps. You know there are hundred steps to go from A to B. You never read that. You just look at the map and here I will turn left, I will turn right, but you never read the directions. So that that's I understand it's kind of the same situation. They have the directions written. It's too complex to be efficient uh, at least uh, right from the from the beginning okay yeah, great it's, it's
0: annoying it's actually annoying. yeah and it's
1: annoying yeah yeah, yeah i get that and, and i mean that's that's a kind of a feedback i got from uh, several surgeons that came to the show this relationship with the either the surgical assistant or the scrub tech and how they perform better when they are with the teams that understand what they want to do, that are capable to anticipate what they are doing, which instrument they want to to use, how they want to see the anatomy. Uh, That that was in a pelvic reconstructive surgery, in general surgery, laparoscopy surgery. And I understand that's the same here. If you want to perform better, and that's your quest for performance, your uh, relentless quest for performance, uh, you need to have the best team uh, with you. And to have the best team with you, you can have... Pretty much anybody, as long as they have this kind of tool that enables them to uh, quickly ramp up understanding what you need and when you when you did that. Uh, so the benefits, I understand, are very much uh, time related. I mean, uh, maybe a quicker setup, a quicker turnaround time. Do you see other uh, what are the other benefits that you uh, foresee with this technology?
0: You know, I, I'm going to start on one that's a little more gooey, a little less objective and not quite so measurable. It's focus. Um, the, when people ask, you know, what is the best way to make a surgeon stronger, particularly in the technical fields, the reconstructive fields, you know, and, and, and there's a value in nav. In there's a value in robotics, there's a value in drill systems, bone management systems. But at the end of the day, the thing that is most valuable to make the surgeon better is insanely pure focus and flow state. And right off the bat, when an OR is disorganized and it's not marching along at a cadence that that makes sense, there's a lot of distraction. And every phase of the case is is affected relative to flow. So no matter what, I think there's a foundational thing that's difficult to measure, and we're going to do a lot of ethnography and and look at the way we, we understand our own internal ethnography. When I was with Johnson & Johnson, I was uh, part of a big ethnography study of stress rates and heart monitors and stress levels and how it affected performance and what complication rates. Well, we've extended that project with J&J years ago into uh, our foundational goal for surgeon behavior emotional state and performance so i i refuse to discount the value of surgeon focus as a huge opportunity in surgical healthcare Um, on the more financial or organizational or lean system um, uh, model Bottom line, and this is where the machine learning aspect comes in and the artificial intelligence, is as we, as we have consumables, as we have implants, as we have deliverables, you know, I'll give you a we, – we, we perceive ourselves as being one of the leanest surgical ORs in the world. I use 11 tools for my anterior cervical approach reconstruction. I use uh, 14 for my lumbar decompression reconstruction that are non-implant related. I'm very, very lean. But even in our OR, we, we found that we were arbitrarily opening up three flow seal every case. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until we had a reflective measure that turns out that in 100 cases, we average, you know, 1.1 use. So, you know, all of a sudden we open one flow seal. Well, that's 400 additional dollars. And that's one product every single time we set up a room. You know, you extrapolate this mm-hmm. to 20 disposables, 20 consumables, um, Needless to say, uh, you know, extra sutures that are thrown onto the table. People have it because of the stress that the scrub techs feel and the OR personnel feel about not being set up properly. They tend to over prepare mm. and yeah, throw okay. too much out because they'd much rather have too much of something than not have it at all. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah.
1: Do you, you don't want to miss something, yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you know that sets up the wrong culture of lean performance and. And in a, in a world that democratization of health care, health equity, availability of resources, you know, the, the, the pandemic certainly put a spotlight on supply issues and the OR across the board and hospital closures exaggerated that. Um, So, you know, we we really need to be more diligent. And then, you know, take that to uh, surgical trays, implant system trays, implant system organization, you know, maybe certain things are used 98% of the time, maybe some things are used 2% of the time, do you really need the 2%er bogging down Mm -hmm. the tray? because that affects SPD, it affects sterilization process, it affects time in between cases, time between setup, the the chaos and mess that's in the back table, which affects focus and and flow and performance. So there are a lot of direct and indirect benefits. Uh, Ultimately, uh, we will gently insert the patient and the electrophysiology, the biophysiology, the anesthesia, everything else. Our, Our entry level product, which is completed is focused in the back back of the room mm-hmm. um, um, but we will we were prepared and already iterating to bring the patient in to the room too and then the whole metaverse circle will be complete
1: okay so what i hear is that uh, there are there is um what you will gain today with the technology as it is with the v1 the the, the first version and also you are forcing that uh, the data that will be captured with the system, uh, like how many instruments are used, how many are discarded or are wasted uh, for which kind of procedure by, by which a surgeon will be able to uh, also be leveraged later on to uh, adjust the, the the instrument set to really what is needed for a procedure. And that's where also there will be uh, benefits for uh, the manufacturers and and that the data will be the data that you will create with your system will uh, will provide a, a huge value. Okay, that's, uh, that's interesting. so. The, the, so you mentioned that the system is already being used in a clinical uh, uh, hospital setting uh, um, at uh, three sites today. Can you share what have been the very early, I guess, feedbacks from uh, from those teams?
0: Yeah, you know, even let me let me start with my team because you know the the, the assumption internally and my ins, my assumption is, well. This will be for everybody else, but it won't be for me. You know, I'm am I'm, a, I'm a, my industry peers know that I'm difficult to penetrate. I'm pretty happy with how I do what I do, mm. um, and right off the bat, uh, the feedback was, you know, this is like a checklist. I, I'm a pilot as well. I fly every time I pull up to. The, the, the warm-up area at the front of a runway, I go through my checklist and I go through every system in the plane and I, I methodically, reliably, obsessively uh, execute my OCD and, and 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 go through my checklist. Well, that was the immediate feedback. Even for an OR where everybody on the team works together every single day for years and years, the the the, the, the calm and the reassurance and the lack of stress of just having a visual way to make sure everything is perfect um, has really been the main driver to uh, performance, even within our team. Well, as we've brought it to other teams, uh, I I have a video that I'm happy to share with you after the podcast. I don't know how you want to play it, but it's a, it's a, it's a two minute video of uh, uh, the seven uh, scrub tech experience. And again, this is, this is with their perception that I'm uh, difficult if you will and uh oh they were flawless and and you could see the relief in their face as they were talking that that was the back table uh emotional effect was just whoo that was that was phenomenal i i i lost all the stress of having to do that for my son um so yeah that's been kind of the uh the human feedback you know i think we're too early into the rollout to really Mm -hmm. get the uh, quantitative feedback Um, but, but step one is giving, uh, you mentioned, uh, for other technologies, uh, hosp in the other conversation that hospitals need to get the tech because the surgeons will need it and the surgeons will expect it and demand it for them to matriculate. We feel exactly the same way about surgical team members. I, I, I really want to empower these team members with something that gives them a fighting chance to be excellent. And, uh, we expect to create a culture where if you don't have it they're not going to want to work for you because they're handicapped at hello
1: mm. okay i mean that's uh that that's great and i mean that's a kind of a unique approach to um bring a new technology such as augmented reality not not directly to the surgeon but indirectly for the benefit of the surgeon to uh, to to the to the surgical team, to the to the scrub tech. So um, maybe a, a, just a quick question. So it's, it's I understand it's the beginning of the rollout of the product. How do you face? Do you plan to face this? Is there any uh, trigger from moving from a, a I guess a limited launch to a, a full product launch, or is it something that you will iterate and see how the uh, how the teams uh, respond to the product, and then you will take it from there?
0: Yeah. So there are two two aspects to the QA. Q- 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 of the of the it's both the the product QA and then the uh, business rules QA, and w- that's what we're really foundationally using our test facilities for. Um, we're starting in spine and orthopedics. We we already have our first eight centers kind of projected, and uh, I, I think as people see. Who we're rolling on, and I'm not going to mention them today, but uh, they're they're eight of the best orthopedic brands in the United States. And uh, well, we're going to really look at two things: one, across a vastly different c- accumulation of equipment and tools and styles and procedural performances. We want to make sure the library and the uh, the creator mode aspect is ready for prime time, um, so that we can you know, generically get that done accurately for for anybody. And we've got a pretty discerning, pretty demanding group of humans that will be the uh, QA component and all with uh, IDE experience and innovation experience and world-leading orthopedic and spine surgeons. Um, uh, The second aspect is business rules. How do we onboard a facility? How do we train the staff? How do we best make the software available? How do we um, correlate the hardware, which generally we're agnostic to, but uh, I do want to throw Microsoft to props. Um, I think their HoloOps 2 has has absolutely been the standard for industrial rollout so far. And, mm-hmm. uh, they give, and in healthcare, it's so critically important to have precedence in the healthcare space yep. um, yes. for, for trust and confidence and respectability. And, right. and I urge the other players, if they wanted to get in the healthcare, to start accelerating their process a little more aggressively, because they're going to have to build that in order for their hardware device to really find station and ors like mine, and uh, we want we want that field to be fertile, but Microsoft has clearly taken the lead on that, and uh that's been very helpful to um the rollout on the other hand, you know. It needs to be expanded because they really haven't dealt with a lot of the problems or barriers or layers of the healthcare regulatory environment and uh, while they are uh, acceptable there as new and new technologies and applications and problems are being solved with it, little things like battery packs and power usage and and oops we use the wrong power cord and you know we shorted out the whole system you know, there are a lot of little back end things it needs to be as simple and easy as mm. uh, a, a smart device and as universally uh, comfortable as a smart device and we're not there yet so so there's a lot of opportunity for transcendent improvement there as well and we intend to be a, a voice and a force to try to push those changes
1: Okay. And so just um, a curious question, uh, You for this kind of product, do you need a, a regulatory approval for introducing this technology in the OR or is it not considered as a, it's not a medical device in itself?
0: Yeah, no, we're not, we're not practicing medicine with this first release. This is an organizational release and okay. it was very strategically. The reason Specifically, that we've kept patient data and hospital interaction and physiology out of this first release is because uh, it isn't. Um, it would it would have cluttered the rollout process. It would have cluttered the foundational organization. And uh, we have a letter from a major regulatory uh u.s consulting firm that already establishes that uh product one is fda exempt we went in kind of with a lot of background and our advisory board and our leadership team is um big five ortho and spine uh history so we 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 went in with a lot of knowledge on how to navigate that organizational chart but yeah the first one we have a letter basically saying we're fda uh okay um and we're we're already in the process of preparing clearances for what we're iterating on the uh phase 2 phase 3 side of things
1: okay i mean that's uh that that's a smart move and 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 anyway that's uh, something I, I can see also in the introduction of a, a augmented reality device uh, those that are using in intraoperative um, in the interoperative phase to help with the, the surgical gesture itself sometimes they do a first clearance with only a, a pre-surgical planning module that doesn't Help that much during the surgery. It's just to visualize uh, with the advanced 3D rendering the complex anatomy and stuff like that. And then the, the first clearance is obviously much easier. And then you can work on the next clearance uh, based on your first um, a device that is already approved. And that that facilitates basically the, uh, the the regulatory process. So that's a kind of a smart move. Side question, maybe uh, you know there have been a lot of uh, layoffs in the in the tech in in the US. I mean the the, the big uh, big companies like Microsoft. Google stuff like that—they announced sure. tens of thousands 10, of people. Uh, how do you see this uh, impacting, um, uh, you know, the, the the mixed reality technology? Because um, maybe that's a kind of a, of a side project that, that they will uh, spend less money on, and and maybe the the progression evolution of the hardware that you are um, expecting to make it uh, more user friendly in the operating room will uh, will go slower. How do you see that?
0: You know, uh, first of all, I. I, I you know obviously, we feel bad for all the people that have lost their positions and lost their jobs. but you know I, I've seen it in the healthcare industry for thirty four years where you know when you start a new uh, type of industry, there's a lot of thirst for developers, for entry level teams. Everyone's fighting for talent. Um, obviously, the augmented reality game has been several years in the making, and so and, and those were pretty lush years with. Financial boom and a really unbelievably powerful economy and and uh, there was a lot of accumulation of talent at every major industry. It was better to have than to not have uh, same as the or field um, but you know with the economy being where it is, and uh, with I think a lot of the foundational stuff already behind them from a financial standpoint, these companies were all going to do that and yeah. uh, and I've seen that in other industries, you see that historically, and this was to me a normal next step. Um, I think relative, to what, what, what little I know about the Microsoft role and and I, we have talked to them quite a bit. Uh, I think uh, my guess is that relative to industri- industry and um, corporate type of solutions for the consumer market, I think they're extremely committed Um, I think on the consumer side, direct, like, you know, uh, home apps, games, things like that, they might be, uh, you know, just leaning up a little bit, but I don't, I don't sense or feel any industrial lack of support whatsoever. And we clearly are an industrial solution. Um, we feel a lot of support and, uh, I think we expect the support to grow, um, uh, uh, not if not from them and from other suitors that are dying to get into the space
1: okay cool i mean that's uh that's a good news for you and good news for the introduction of this kind of technologies in the in the operating room thanks for listening to the first part of the discussion with dr robert masson micro neurosurgeon practicing minimally invasive spine surgery in orlando florida and park city utah In the next episode, Dr. Masson will share the story behind expanded existence, the market access strategy and the IMAS 360 lumbar reconstruction procedure he invented. Thank you all for listening to the Less Invasive podcast, your source for minimally invasive surgery and assistive technologies for the operating room and radiology environment. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast 5 stars and share with a friend.